Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good evening, dummies. Episode 165, Tuesday, June 8th at 6.39 p.m. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. Tonight, we have a good show. Have I ever said tonight we have a bad show? I'm wondering what would happen. Tonight, we have a really horrible show, folks. I've spent a lot of time planning, mucking this up to make sure it is a special brand of shit that just is not palatable. Not that shit is ever palatable, but I really want to make the... uh, just the uh, polarization of good show versus bad show. This is a shit show. It's going to suck. Let's see. Maybe this will go viral now. Who knows? Reverse psychology. I'm wearing my abs hat, as you see. More reverse psychology. Whose psychology? I don't know. The hockey gods, myself, probably me. I said, I'm not going to wear any abs gear. Well, we lost two in a row. So I we got to do whatever we can do. Honestly, I'd pissed on a spark plug if it would do any good just to see the abs actually wake up. I don't know. So here's my prediction. They're either going to win or they're going to lose. I know you heard it here first, folks. You can take that to the bank. Don't mess with, well, the Lone Star. You can see. Don't mess with Texas. I'm a big Texas fan, as you know. What are we doing tonight? We're going to cover topics. That's what we're doing. If you came here for something else, like a luau or a shindig or a hula, it's a luau. It's not a hula. Hula is a dance. I think that was on the movie, uh, oh gosh, it wasn't Saving Sarah Silverman or whatever it was, it was, uh, it was, oh, my wife's going to kill me, oh, come on, folks, it, uh, Hawaii, and uh, girl breaks up with them, and holy shit, I can't remember, maybe we should get Liv, should we get, let's call Liv, let's do it, let's call Liv, she'll know. And this is good, you guys. You, you haven't had a chance to hear from her. Let's do this. See if she can hear this. What was the name of the damn show? Boyfriend. NCIS. Hey. Hey, you're on the show. What the hell is the name of the great movie where they're like, hey, we're going to do a, a, oh, look, it's a luau. And he's like, it's not a lu- or the hula. And it's like, it's not the hula. It's a luau. And oh, that's uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Forgetting Sarah fucking Marshall. Thank you. You're on the show. Bye bye. So, forgetting Sarah Marshall. If you haven't watched it, it's uh, a pretty fantastic movie. Obviously, not good enough for me to remember the title of the movie, but it is funny. If you like forty year old virgin and stuff like that, it's definitely funny. I'm Albus Snow. Bullshit. 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 Welcome to the show. Tonight's topics. I prefer lemon free pledge. Yes, the Pledge of Allegiance. We haven't heard it in a while, but you know it's going to come back because everything does. God in the Pledge of Allegiance. What happened? Why is it not okay to have God in the Pledge of Allegiance? Well, we haven't talked about it lately, and you know it's coming. With taking the knee and burning the flag and protesting the police and everything it stands for, this is going to be next, taking prayer out of schools. A lot of schools have already done it, taking prayer, obviously, but saying God in the Pledge. Is that the same thing? Some schools have taken it out. Some refuse to. We'll talk about it tonight. Global swarming is real. Maybe not global warming, but global swarming, fear swarming is certainly real, and it's all over. We're going to talk about the media tonight. We're going to talk about some of the things over the last 20 years that have scared you to death. And lastly, bipolarization of politics. Not just the polarization, but bipolarization. There's some mental issues going on. I want to talk about this, and it's super important. People on the site Listen, I post memes because it gets dialogue going in conversation. I have made my case clear. When I say fire Fauci, it's not because I thought he got in with Bill Gates and he needs to be hung and killed and sent to jail. I just think he should be fired. I think he mucked it up. I think he failed horribly with coronavirus, and I have facts to back it up. Just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean we're queuing on. I've said this before. Stop overreacting. 
but this is polarization and it happens on the right too. You've got people on there called lefty, wear your Birkenstocks and go to a Woodstock concert and eat your CBD oil and your laced marijuana THC brownies. Lighten up people. It's just a meme. It, fire Fauci. That's all it says. My Lord, stop reading. Why do we allow memes to talk for us? Well, we're going to talk about it tonight. It's important. Why do we allow this bipolarization to take place? We're diving in. It's going to be a long one tonight, I promise you. Last night was said 56 minutes, but I had like 14 minutes of dead space. I'm sorry, folks. That was an editing issue. There was a JPEG all the way on the back end of the video. And either way, you probably didn't notice. According to a news story, if global warming continues... In 20 years, the only chance we'll have to see a polar bear is in a zoo. So in other words, basically nothing is going to change. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. You know, I get asked all the time, where did you get your music? Where do you get those wonderful toys? Well, that's still point. And you will see as I begin the show, you'll hear a little still point music. They also do my intro. They're also doing a couple of other things. They're going to be doing a uh, quick little screeching soundbite of, don't freak me. I can't do it. But anyway, they're going to be recording some other stuff. Still points an amazing band. Go listen to them. They're good friends of ours. They're good friends of ours. They're good friends of mine. Which one's more important? Good friends of ours or mine? Good friend of mine. Yeah. If you say good friend of mine, you're vouching for the person, which would then make them a good friend of ours. If it's good friend of ours, they're a made man. So they're a good friend of ours. Make them an offer. I can't refuse. All right. Listen, what are we going to do we've already talked about that what is this mess what you're like what the hell is this show about well this is the way it always is this is my five minutes kind of just to ramble and talk about anything nonsensical before we dive into it this is don't unfriend me my name is matthew spear i am your host and i'm going to walk you through episode 165 and it should be just a peach of a time social media channels all right here facebook twitter instagram and you can find me on anchor on all my podcasts stop by say hello and if you can't do it on social media because you hate social media, that's fine. Go to don'tunfriendme.com. Stop on by, check out my catalog, see all my videos, all that stuff. Remember, you can find the videos on Facebook. You have to scroll down a little bit. I post them Monday through Friday at 2130 hours or 930 Eastern Standard. I hope you are ready to rock and roll because that is most assuredly what we're about to do. Bipolarization politics. Why do Americans increasingly believe that those in the other party are not only misguided, but they're also bad people whose views are so dangerously wrong and wrong-headed and crazy as to be all but incomprehensible. What has created what Arthur Brooks in his forthcoming book calls a culture of contempt in American politics and public, public life? I'm glad you asked, because here is a baker's dozen of worthy causes of why. It kind of started with the end of the Cold War. The West was uh, victorious in the Cold War, with the possible exception of jihadi terrorism. There really is no longer a global enemy to keep us united as a focus on a powerful and cohesive external threat. Russia had spies on U.S. soil. There was a war between the FBI and the KGB. It was palpable. It was felt they were absolutely playing grab-ass with politics geopolitical situation and proxy wars all over the world. It's not like with China, which is more of a trade war and about dollars and cents more than anything, and IP, intellectual property, at least now. Who knows tomorrow? But with that Cold War over, that unifying call is no longer here. Remember Lake Placid? Remember gymnastics? Remember any time it was Russia versus U.S., even people gave a shit about chess for a while. It was always against Russia. The rise of identity group politics on both the left and the right, both are absolutely culpable in this. The main conceptual frameworks have largely shifted in focus from unifying values to group identities. 
As Amy Chua puts in the political tribes in 2018, the left believes that right-wing tribalism is bigotry, racism, and is tearing the country apart. The right believes that the left-wing tribalism, identity politics, and political correctness correctness is tearing the country apart. They're, they are both right. Never mind here the possibly problematic usage of the terms tribe and tribal. I'm sure somebody will be offended by that. Or that. Number three, growing religious diversity. Current trends in America, American religion, reflect as well as contribute to political polarization. One trend is growing secularization, including a declining share of Americans who are Christians less public confidence in organized religion, and rising numbers of religiously unaffiliated Americans. One consequence is an increasingly open contestation of Christianity's once-dominant role in American public and political culture. But another trend is the continuing, and in some respects intensifying, robustness of religious faith and practice in many parts of the society. This growing religious divide helps to explain the rise of several of the most polarizing social issues in our politics, such as gay marriage and abortion. It also contributes to polarizing the two political parties overall as religious belief becomes an increasingly important predicator of party affiliation. For example, among Democrats and Democratic-leaning U.S. adults, religiously unaffiliated voters, the nuns, are now more numerous than Catholics, Evangelical Protestants, mainline Protestants, or members of historically black Protestant traditions, whereas socially and theologically conservative Christians today are overwhelmingly Republican. Growing racial and ethnic diversity. In the long run, increased racial and ethnic diversity is likely a strength. But in the short run, which means now, it contributes to a decline in social trust, the belief that we can understand and count on one another, and a rise in social and political conflict. This isn't racism, it's simply prejudices. The passing of the greatest generation. We don't call them the greatest for no reason. Their generation values forged in the trials of the Great Depression and World War II, including a willingness to sacrifice for country, concern for the general welfare, and a mature character structure and also an adherence to a shared civic faith, reduced social and political polarization. Thus note the following. I didn't vote for him, but he's my president, and I hope he does a good job, John Wayne. And that was on John F. Kennedy in 1960. Rush Limbaugh said, I hope he fails on the election of Barack Obama. And then, of course, in 2016, Donald Trump should be impeached and thrown in prison. The entire left. There's not one Democrat in the world who actually can admit anything that Donald Trump did right. And I have found the same to be true for President Obama. Once again, it's on both sides. Geographical sorting. Americans today are increasingly living in political like-minded communities, living only or mainly with like-minded neighbors. It makes us more extreme and more certain in our political beliefs. As Bill Bishop and Robert Cushing put in the big sort from 2008, mixed company moderates, like-minded company polarizes. These communities restrain group excess. Homogenous communities march towards the extremes. The percent of the U.S. voters living in counties in which a presidential candidate won by a landslide, margin of 20% or more of the vote. In 1976, 25%. 2016, 60. Number seven, political party sorting. Once upon a time, there were such creatures as liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats. I know it sounds insane. I'm one of them. But this is no longer. The parties have sorted philosophically such that today almost all liberals are Democrats and all conservatives are Republicans. One may result in that the partisan gap between the parties is wide and getting wider. Across 10 measures that Pew Research Center has tracked on the same survey since 1994, the average partisan gap has increased from 15 percentage points to 36 percentage points. Number eight, new rules for Congress, the weakening and in some case elimination of regular order, defined broadly as the rules and customs and precedents intended to promote orderly and deliberative policymaking, as well as the erosion of traditions such as senatorial courtesy and social fraternization across party lines, have contributed dramatically to less trust and more animosity in the Congress, thus increasing polarization. It's hard to exaggerate how much House Republicans and Democrats dislike each other these days. 
new rules for political parties, many reforms in how we nominate, elect, and guide our political leaders, shifting the power of nomination from delegates to primaries, dismantling political machines, replacing closed-door politics with televised politics, and shrinking the influence of career politicians aimed to democratize the system. But these changes also replaced the middlemen who helped keep the system together with a political free-for-all in which the loudest and most extreme voices are heard above all others. As these intermediaries influence fads, politicians, activists, and voters all become more individualistic and unaccountable. The system atomizes. Chaos becomes the new normal of both in campaigns and in the government itself. Jonathan Roch said that on how American politics went insane in 2016. Read it. It's a good book. Number 10, the new political donors. In early eras, money in American politics tended to focus on candidates and parties, while money from today's super rich donors tends to focus on ideas and ideology, a shift that also trends and tends to advance polarization. Now the Democrats are saying, well, the super rich are the Republicans. That's not true. The top 2% is exclusively owned by the Democrats, and you can go ahead and thank Silicon Valley for that. 11. New political districts. Widespread gerrymandering on both sides, defined as manipulating district boundaries for political advantageousness, contributes significantly to polarization, most obviously by making candidates in gerrymandered districts worry about being primaried by a more extreme member of their own party than about losing the general election. And number 12, the spread of media ghettos. The main features of the old analog media, including editing, fact-checking, professionalization, and the privileging of institutions over individuals, served as a credentialing system for American political expression. The distinguishing feature of the new digital media, the fact that anyone can publish anything that gains views and clicks, including me, is replacing that old system with a non-system that is atomized and largely leaderless. One result made possible by this change is that Americans can now live in media ghettos. If I wish, I can live all day every day encountering in my media travels only those views with which I already agree. Living in a media ghetto means less that my views are shaped and improved, much less challenged than that they are hardened and made more extreme. What might have been analysis weakens into partisan talking points dispensed by identity group leaders. Moreover, because I'm exposed only to the most cartoonish, exaggerated versions of my opponent's views, I come to believe that those views are so unhinged and irrational as to be dangerous. More broadly, the new media resemble and reinforce the new politics, such as most reliable way to succeed in either domain is to be the most noisome, outrageous, disingenuous, and polarizing figure. This is never more true than it is on my site. There is no middle. It is left or right, and I get called out for doing the middle. Oh, you've you, you got to take a side. No, I don't. Because honestly, some points are valid. Do I think Donald Trump handled the coronavirus fantastic within the first 30, uh, 30 to 60 days? No. I thought from a personality that he was extremely weak and childish at times. But he also passed 389 pieces of legislation in the first 90 days. He did the travel ban on China. He at least was looking. He was out there in front of the cameras three hours a night. I understand that you don't like the guy, but there are two viewpoints that I can both understand. What about the last 90 days of his election? Who's proud of him? This whole, the election was stolen and there were stolen votes and the Dominion servers and, and adding votes into the night. None of it provable, none of it seen. And I know what people say, the election was stolen. I don't know that. And neither do you. You may feel it. And I feel that there was malfeasance, but we can't prove it. Because we tried. There was over 3,700 cases brought against it. Do you think just one judge would have said, okay, there's enough evidence? Do we really believe that every freaking judge, every attorney, every attorney general, every state's government said, screw it, even the ones that were on his side? Polarization happens naturally when two of you, uh, opposing viewpoints won't listen to each other. 
Do I think that we should hug Democrats and say, I love your policy? No, I think we should fight fervently against it because I believe it is the worst form of, of, of any governmental process is democratic policy. Not the democratic policy, but liberal policy, socialist policy, tax and spend policies. But does that mean I can't have a conversation and listen to other people? This is why I do it, because my credibility wanes. Because anyone on the left or right can come to me and say, you refuse to listen to anybody and all you do is regurgitate Fox News. And I do not do that. I form my own opinions. But we have a problem with that. And the reason why is it's emulated by the decline of journalistic responsibility. The dismantling of the old media. It's been accompanied by and and helped cause a decline in journalistic standards. These Losses to society include journalists who will accept poor quality in pursuit of volume and repetition as well as the blurring and even erasure of boundaries between news and opinion, facts and non-facts, and journalism entertainment. These losses feed polarization. I have absolutely, with no equivocation, can look everyone in the face and say that this is an opinion-based show. However, you know when I'm talking fact and you know when I have an opinion because I'll tell you when I am reading, it is usually not opinion. It is the who, what, when, where, why of a situation. I go ahead and give you the sometimes why. And when I do that, I usually say in conclusion or my summary or in my opinion. But you don't hear that. People don't know when Sean Hannity's exposing or simply just reading off of a teleprompter and it's laced in fact. What have we learned so far from all of this polarization? I'd say four things, and I'd also say not enough to get to the heart of the matter. For starters, we could probably make the list longer. For example, we could plausibly argue that rising income inequality should be added, though in my view, the evidence on this is really ambiguous. Second, we can see that some of these causes are ones we either can't do much about or wouldn't want to even if we could. Third, Few, if any of these causes, contain the quality of intentionality. None of them wake up each morning and say, let's polarize. Even those coming closest to reflecting the intention to polarization, such as gerrymandering, reflect other and more fundamental intentions, such as winning elections, advancing a political agenda, or gaining clicks or viewers. The fourth conclusion is the most important. None of these causes directly perpetuate polarization. They are likely what analysts would call distal or ultimate causes, but they are not proximate, immediate, direct causes. They seem to have shaped an environment that incentivizes polarization, but they are not themselves the human words and deeds that polarize. And so our baker's dozen that we've listed ultimately doesn't satisfy. We need a 14th cause, arguably the most important one. It's certainly the most direct and immediate, the most proximate cause of polarization. The growing influence of certain ways of thinking about each other. And this is the heart of the matter. This is the root cause. These polarizing habits of mind and heart include favoring binary either or thinking. Absolutizing one's preferred values. Viewing uncertainty as a mark of weakness or sin. Even a spelling mistake. People are unable to actually talk about the facts that somebody posts and says, well, you have a spelling mistake, therefore you're not intelligent. This is no more true than on Facebook. Listen, I write fast, and I can tell you if I take the time, I will formulate a sentence. You've heard what I write on the show, and you've heard what I read on this show. I don't consider myself to be the most educated human being on the planet, but damn it, I'll wax intellects with just about anybody, and I'll stick in there for a few rounds. But because maybe I put your, Y-O-U-R, and you are, Y-O apostrophe R-E, and mix it up sometimes, like everyone does, shouldn't discredit your post. Because you know what the fuck they're saying. And the great thing that I see is when someone goes, your, your grammar sucks, dude. You're obviously uneducated. Uh, you know, you're an idiot, Y-O-U-R. And I'm just like, it's so hard for me not to say Y-O apostrophe R-E. Why? Well, because then you're stooping down to someone's level. If you don't want to be treated that way, don't do it to other people. If you can understand what somebody's saying, give them the benefit of the doubt. I have read some posts where I have no earthly idea what the fuck somebody's talking about. 
And I just go, that person's a moron. But if someone misspells a word, we don't get to go ahead and mark it as weakness or a sin. Indulging in the motivated reasoning, always only looking for evidence that supports your side, waiting for someone to say something you know, just so you can argue the point and just basically disavowing everything else that person said. You're just waiting to talk. Relying on deductive logic, believing that general premises justify specific conclusions. That's a straw man argument. Assuming that one's opponents are motivated by bad faith. Why can't we give positive intent to people? Why can't we assume positive intent? Permitting the desire for approval from in-group, my side to guide one's thinking. Because you can't possibly lose a conversation. I banned a woman this morning on my site, and she goes, you're a coward because you banned me. No, you're annoying. Because you made 12 posts in a matter of minutes and everything you said was, in, was factually inaccurate. I tried to get you to stop. I tried to get you to see another side. So I made counterpoints to your arguments very respectfully and you attacked my grammar. So you got fucking banned because you can't make an argument. This is an argument show. It creates a riot in your soul. That is the point of this show. It's to upset you. It's to frustrate you. It's to get you to hear a different viewpoint so you can get the freaking gears turning of individual thought versus collective nuance. Succumbing intellectually and spiritually to the desire to dominate others. This is what St. Augustine called libido dominandi declining for oppositional reasons to agree on basic effects and on the meaning of evidence. These ways of thinking constitute the actual perception of polarization, the direct and immediate causes of holding exaggerated and stereotyped views of each other, treating our political opponents as enemies, exhibiting growing rancor and aggression in public life and acting as if common ground does not exist. What's the lesson here? In summation, Although we didn't think our way into polarization, larger and more distal forces shape the prospects for it. We'll need largely to think our way out. At this point in the process, unless some cataclysmic social change, like an economic collapse, another world war, or God forbid something like 9-11 happen, that may do it for us. But the first thing to change is to get out of this mess in our minds. One final consideration. It would be nice to make a straightforward us versus them enemies list when it comes to who's to blame for polarization, but the fact is none of us is pure. Besides which, the impulse to create an enemies list is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Some of us are more inclined to polarizing habits than others. I'm not a saint because I try to stay in the middle. I am just as guilty as you, and I will cuss at my fucking phone when I'm typing to somebody wanting to beat the shit out of them. We all do it. But some of us, when we foster polarization, are more aware of what we're doing than others. And some of us, more and more of us, it seems, makes a pretty good living these days out of encouraging and participating in polarization. But the habits and temptations of polarization are always with all of us. That includes you and me. Either way, the fault, dear reader and dear listener, is not just in our 13 stars but also in ourselves. We can pretend that the right is always wrong and the left is never right. But there is something that I do bring to the table, and I will say this and scream this from the rooftops, is I try to agree with what the reader or writer says. Something, anything. There's a case in point earlier today where a gentleman said, Donald Trump, this, 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 and that could have done a better job in the first 90 days, blah, blah, blah. And I say, hey, you made some valid points. However, I think you also are saying things that weren't true about the UV and injecting bleach. None of that shit happened. And then that person came back and immediately rolled over the top of that, how full of shit I am. And I'm a Trumpite and I'm a racist. Those people are everywhere and they're on the right as well. Those aren't the people. Those are the dum-dums, not the dummies. Rise above a little bit. Have some patience. Don't be afraid to be intolerant. But you don't always have to show that you are. Sometimes deference is an amazing gift. And you can learn something from people. But those people who constantly come and attack and attack and attack and have no idea what they're talking about, they already know that about themselves. That's why they're there to begin with. 
You don't need to help them find that journey. They'll find it themselves. Because in the end, they're afraid to post their picture on Facebook, and they've got a picture of a sunset or a dog or a cat or a kid because they don't like themselves very much. We should take maybe a little pity on those people versus lambasting them in the ones and zeros. Why? Because the whole point of this conversation is how do we get away from bipolarization? And the only way we can do that is maybe to accept people for their strengths and, more importantly, their flaws. I prefer lemon-free pledge. While many people feel that reciting the pledge is good, we must help them understand why it is a good thing to do. It is up to us to help our friends and neighbors, our children and their teachers, understand the meaning of the pledge. Here are a few points I would suggest you make as you talk about the pledge. Thomas Jefferson explained why one nation under God is important. We hear all the time, our founding fathers and presidents didn't believe in God. That's bullshit. Some didn't. Some did not necessarily condone organized religion, but saying they didn't believe in God is a complete fucking fallacy. Pardon my French. Thomas Jefferson and our other founding fathers understood that the government does not give us our freedom because the government is a living, breathing thing. It has a physical location. It has a who, what, when, where, why. It does not take belief to install. It simply is what is on paper and what is there, and it can be changed and taken away. Our founding fathers knew this. So our freedom comes from God. And you can call it maybe not God. How about it comes from an intangible, something you can't take away or burn. It's a belief. And the government was established to protect that God-given freedom. It's not the other way around. It's not the chicken and the egg. The government was created to support the God-given rights of everyone. That was their justification for the American Revolution, after all, and it was stated in the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson wrote the following, and I quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nobody's guaranteed happiness. You are allowed to go after it. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles. No king or emperor, no president or congress, no court or crowd gives us our rights. They come from God himself or herself and are unalienable. And the founders built America's foundation on such principles. Abraham Lincoln explained why being one nation under God is important. Abraham Lincoln understood that the nation's unity and freedom depended upon being one nation under God. In the Gettysburg Address, Lincoln used the exact phrase, nation under God, echoed in the Pledge of Allegiance. He began his address by referring to the Founding Fathers' foundation in God-given rights. Four score and seven years ago, I quote, Our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. As Lincoln closes his remarks honoring the fallen soldiers at Gettysburg, he offered this inspiring vision. That we were highly resolved, a lot of people don't hear, haven't heard this, that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. How many of you have heard the last sentence and not the rest? Martin Luther King Jr. understood the importance of being a nation under God, I would hope. In his I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King Jr. explained that when the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall hair. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It doesn't matter that the phrase under God was added to the pledge in the 1950s. Some people argue that under God was not in the original pledge and was inserted over 50 years later, but that only proves it took 50 years to get it right. And the reason why is pretty simple. 
is because that's the truth. We'll go into that more in a minute. The phrase under God does not make the pledge a prayer, no matter how many times you say it. Some people argue that under God is a form of prayer, and thus it is unconstitutional to have school children recite it. However, a careful reading of the Pledge of Allegiance reveals that we are not pledging allegiance to God, you sanctimonious asses. We are instead pledging allegiance to a republic. The pledge then describes the republic as one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In other words, it acknowledges the Founders' declaration that our freedom comes from God and not the state. And if you remove God from it, our state, our rights then become alienable, obsolete, no longer something that is in the ether, but something substantive that can be destroyed. Throughout America's history, as Jefferson, 18th century, Lincoln, 19th century, and King, 20th century, attested, the American people's freedom, the freedom of your neighbors, your coworkers, your children, and their teachers are because we are one nation under God. Take that principle away, remove it from our national consciousness, and we lose the very basis for the freedoms we so easily take for granted. As Jefferson also warned, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Inscribed in stone at the Jefferson Memorial in D.C. If you haven't been, go. In today's wars of ideas, People will not defend what they do not cherish, and they will not cherish what they do not understand. The words are, I pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The blanket of security that is provided is from the heavens, is from God, and whether you believe in the Lord or not is inconsequential. I am not a man of faith. I simply don't know. Do I believe there's no God? No. Do I believe there is a God? No. I'm not sure. Maybe that's why I am destined to ride this middle road is because I'm incapable of making a frickin' decision. But that's really not the case. I have questions. But everything about the pledge is intangible if you really read it. And in summation, you can't feel the weight or substance of, of the pledge. It is an internal mechanism to show loyalty and dedication and deference. It can be a failure or a success depending on the worth of the person uttering the words. Liberty and justice are also something that you cannot see or touch, but you will know it if it is vacant, very similar to the presence of God. The republic that we were founded on was an ideal. It was a lofty idea that was a balance between some form of a monarchy, and a federalist government. The laws and rights did not come from a king. <clears throat> they came from God. And even the Lord is something that requires faith, and more importantly, a penitent disposition of fealty. It isn't something you can witness without divine intervention, or in the structure of belief, death. The entire pledge is based on a promise, a promise of a better tomorrow, and aspirations to improve not only yourself, but your fellow man. If we remove God from the pledge because some believe he isn't real, then the rest will follow suit because there is no substantive provability of anything else that the pledge stands for as well. Global swarming is real. The pro side argues rising levels of atmospheric greenhouse gases are a direct result of human activities, such as burning fossil fuels, and that these increases are causing significant and increasingly severe climate changes, including global warming, loss of sea ice, sea level rise, stronger storms, and more droughts. They contend that the immediate international action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is necessary to prevent dire climate changes. Now, I didn't sleep at a Holiday Inn Express. I am not an expert on climate change. Have I studied the subject? Yes. Do I believe climate change is real? Sure. Do I believe it's man-made? No. Here's why. Many scientists disagree. Now, they don't disagree that global warming is real. They disagree with the level that human impact has happened. This activity is primarily responsible for climate change. Is that true? 
Well, a report found more than 1,000 scientists who disagreed that humans are primarily responsible for global, global climate change. The claim that 90%, 97% of scientists agree on the cause of global warming is completely inaccurate. The research on almost 12,000 studies actually found that only 3,974 even expressed a view on the issue. Of those, just 64, 1.6%, said humans are the main cause. A Purdue University survey found that 47% of climatologists challenge the idea that humans are primarily responsible for climate change and instead believe that climate change is caused by an equal combination of humans and the environment, 37%, but mostly by the environment, 5%, or there's not enough information to say another 5%. I will have a fact on each one of these and cite my source. If you would like to argue this point below in the comments, please do, but keep your emotions and supposition out of it. Deal with fact and science, please. Earth's climate has always warmed and cooled, and the 20th century rise in global temperature is within the bounds of natural temperature. Fluctuations over the past 3,000 years are evident in carbon dating. Although the planet has warmed one point. 1.4 Fahrenheit over the 20th century, it is in the plus minus range of the past 3,000 years. A study by researchers at the Harvard Smithsonian Center of Astrophysics found that many records reveal that the 20th century is probably not the warmest, nor a uniquely extreme climatic period of the last millennia. A study published in Nature found that high temperatures, similar to those observed in the 20th century before 1990, occurred around AD 1000 to 1100 in the Northern Hemisphere. A study published in Boreas found that summer temperatures during the Roman Empire and medieval periods were consistently higher than temperatures during the 20th century. The rise in atmospheric CO2 over the last century was clearly caused by human activity as it occurred at a rate much faster than natural climate changes could produce, is what they say. Rising levels of atmospheric CO2 do not necessarily cause global warming, though. Earth's climate record shows that warming has proceeded, proceeded, not followed a rise in CO2. According to a study published in Science Measurements of ice core samples, showed that over the last four climactic cycles, past 240,000 years, periods of natural global warming preceded global increases in CO2. The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences published a study of the Earth's climate. 460 to 445 million years ago, which found that an intense period of glaciation not warming, occurred when CO2 levels, CO2 levels were five times higher than they are today. According to ecologist and former director of Greenpeace International, Patrick Moore, PhD, there is some correlation but little evidence to support a direct casual relationship between CO2 and global temperature throughout the millennia. Human-produced CO2 is reabsorbed by oceans, forests, and other carbon sinks, negating any climate changes. A paper published in Asia-Pacific Journal of Atmospheric Sciences found that some climate models overstated how much warming would occur from traditional CO2 emissions. About 50% of the CO2 released by the burning of fossil fuels and other human activities has already been reabsorbed by the Earth's carbon sinks. From 2002 to 2011, 26% of the human-caused CO2 emissions were absorbed specifically by the world's oceans. A study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science found evidence that forests are increasing their growth rates in responses to elevated levels of CO2, which will in turn lower atmospheric CO2 levels. Human beings won't kill the Earth, maybe nuclear bombs will, but it will adapt. CO2 is so saturated in Earth's atmosphere that more CO2, man-made or natural, will have little impact on the climate. As CO2 levels in the atmosphere rise, the amount of additional warming caused by the increased concentration become less and less pronounced. According to Senate testimony by William Happer, Ph.D. professor of physics at Princeton, additional increments of CO2 will cause relatively less direct warming because we already have so much CO2 in the atmosphere that it has blocked most of the infrared radiation that it can. The technical jargon for this, that the CO2 absorption brand is nearly saturated at current CO2 levels. According to the Heartland Institute 2013 Non-Governmental International Panel on Climate Change, holy shit, is likely rising atmospheric CO2 concentrations will have little impact on the future. Global warming and cooling are primarily caused by fluctuations in the sun's heat. 
solar forcing, not by human activity. The rate of global warming has slowed over the last decade, even though atmospheric CO2 continues to increase. This is from the Heartland Institute, that the past 16 years, despite an 8% increase in CO2, according to this emeritus professor of meteorology and Massachusetts Institute, the excuse for the absence of warming over the past 17 years is that the heat is hiding in the deep ocean. However, this is simply an admission that the climate models fail to simulate the exchanges of heat between the surface layers and the deeper oceans. Sea levels have been steadily rising for thousands of years, and the increase has nothing to do with humans. We literally have a giant freezer of ice which is thawing out. It's going to happen either way, and the impact of solar flares on the poles has more of an impact on this than anything else. CO2 levels certainly don't help. The acidity levels of the oceans are within past natural levels, and the current rise in the acidity is a natural fluctuation. The pH of average ocean surface water is 8.1 and has only decreased 0.1 since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. A lot of climate change fears are based on predictions and inadequate or flawed computer climate models. They are made by humans after all. Climate models have been unable to simulate major known features of past climate, such as the Ice Ages or the very warm climates of the Miocene, Eocene, and the Cretaceous periods. If models cannot replicate past climate changes, they should not be trusted to predict future climate changes. It's just common sense. Glaciers have been growing and receding for thousands of years due to natural causes, not human activity. Watch a time lapse of the poles and you will see the earth breathing as ice continues to expand and, ex uh, expand and contract along the poles. The IPCC predicted that Himalayan glaciers would likely melt away by 2035, a prediction they disavowed in 2010. In 2014, a study of 2,181 Himalayan glaciers from 2000-2011 showed that 86.6% of the glaciers were not receding. A study of ice cores published in Natural Geoscience said the current melting of glaciers in western Antarctica was due to atmospheric circulation changes that have caused rapid warming over the West Antarctic ice sheet. Deep ocean currents, not human activity, are primary drivers of natural climate warming and cooling. Over the 20th century, there have been two Arctic warming periods, with a cooling period from 1940 to 1970 and in between. According to a study in geophysical research letters, natural shifts in the ocean currents are the major cause of these climate changes, not human-generated greenhouse gas. Increased hurricane activity and other extreme weather events are a result of natural weather patterns, not human-caused climate change. According to a report from the Tropical Meteorology Project at Colorado State University, the increase in human-produced CO2 over the past century has had little or no significant effect on global tropical cyclone activity. In fact, people keep saying that there are more and more cyclones and hurricanes, and this simply is not true. The report stated that specific hurricanes, including Sandy, Ivan, Katrina, Rita, Wilma, and Ike, were not a direct consequence of human-caused global warming. Between 1995 and 2015, increased hurricane activity, including Katrina, was recorded. However, according to the NOAA, this was the result of cyclical tropical cyclone patterns that were driven primarily by natural ocean currents and nothing else. This is what happens. This is what happens all the time. This extreme weather events of fires. California's been on fire since I was a boy. Every single year it was on fire. This is the natural occurrence. It is dry. It is a desert. Lightning strikes happen and it burns. And there was a point in time that burning was okay and they allowed it to happen because it was a natural thing. But now all the environmentalists believe that this giant fire in the earth is somehow going to suffocate Mother Nature and we have to stop it and put it out, which then creates more fires because the undergrowth does not dissipate. This is the natural evolution of the earth, and she knows more about how to heal herself than we do. And if you don't believe that, over the last 21 years, here are just a few things that were most assuredly going to kill us that we didn't have a solution for. Y2K. It's going to destroy all of us. 2000. 2001, anthrax is going to kill us all, remember? 2002, the West Nile virus is going to kill us. 2003, SARS is going to kill us and obviously came back. 2005, the bird flu. 2006, E. coli. 2008, the economic meltdown and the housing crisis. 2009, the swine flu. 
Mad cow disease was somewhere in there in 2010. 2012, the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending and we're all going to die. 2013, North Korea is going to cause World War III. They also did that in 16. 2014, Ebola virus is going to kill us all. 2015, ISIS is going to kill us all. 2016, Zika virus is going to kill us all. Has anyone heard of Zika virus anymore? 2017, the monkeypox is going to wipe out Nigeria and come to the U.S. 2020, coronavirus is going to kill us all. And let me tell you what will kill you. Fear. Turn off the TV and go outside. Because either way, none of us are getting out of this alive anyway. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you. Colorado Avalanche, have a great game. Please, for the love of God, do that. Please do me a favor, folks. Like, share, and subscribe and follow. We just recently hit 20,000 followers. That's an amazing thing. And it's because of you sharing and liking, subscribing. If you think someone else will like this show and it could benefit them, give it a share. And even if they don't like the show, share it anyway. Maybe we can get people to start being amicable again. Who knows? It's a lofty goal. But then again, so is our Constitution. So was our government. And so were our founding fathers as they had to fight a war against a monumental tyrant and won. I wonder how many of them felt that they weren't big enough to make an impact. That's why I do this show. It certainly isn't for the money. And it isn't certainly because of my blood pressure. 1-800-273-8255. Press 1, the Veteran Crisis Hotline. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. It is way too many. They need your help, especially now during coronavirus. Times are tough. Times are hard. Veterans are looking for jobs and there are plenty out there but unfortunately pts can hold you back traumatic brain injury anxiety depression they need your help please reach out to a veteran today if you don't know how to talk to a veteran which is understandable sometimes they are hard to talk to give me a call i will see what i can do to help we are after all brothers and sisters in arms and if that doesn't work you can go to don'tunfriendly.com click on the vcl link and be connected to a vcl operator Veteran Crisis Hotline doesn't know I do this. I do this because I have impacted a lot of veterans' lives, and they need us. And only you and I can help the 22 veterans a day that commit suicide. We have a generation of heroes who are taking their own lives, and it needs to stop today. If you are not a veteran and you need help, VCL won't turn you away. Give them a call, and they will get you in touch with the right people, right place, right time to help you. Folks, that is it for 165. Go Abs. Go you. Go America. Everyone, just take a deep breath and try to find one thing that we can agree on so we continue to agree on the other hundred things. Have a wonderful night, and I will see you tomorrow for 166.